Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Travion, you just missed the best conversation about psychic mediums over here. Yeah, what's your opinion on psychics? God. My favorite still remains the guy who tried to do an entire radio show as a medium. (laughs) Wait, what? Where he's trying to, yes, they're talking to you through, yeah, absolutely. It was one of the worst things I ever heard. It's One of the absolute worst ideas for a show I ever heard. Are we talking? This is like a syndicated sh- yes. show? Yes. You know what's funny? Wow. It was an episode of George Norrie. You can catch that right here on 101. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that either. It was a full-on Ian, show. Ian took the night off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it was awful. Yeah, buddy. Trey, you ever been to a psychic? No. A sidekick? The only thing I really know about sidekick, or not sidekick, <laughs> now you got said sidekick. But um, psychics is Latoya Jackson claimed to be a psychic oh, at one point. That's right. So then, then there's, during her crazy period with Jack Gordon. So then there's the uh, murder case that I got to report on out west, where uh, essentially a psychic was murdered by someone who didn't like what they were told. Whoa. You would have thought she would have seen it coming. There's actually ah, been like, wait yeah stop yeah uh-huh. yeah exactly uh, apparently there have been some murder investigations that were solved by psychics yeah. or mediums or whatever yeah they're like okay well we can scratch off anything the psychic says <laughs> so that that helps us and yeah until DNA starts yeah. popping up and oh yeah you're wrong it sorry the, science beats you it was the psychic he did it yeah that stuff is all blown um. Remember, I'm not a big believer in it either. Yeah. You remember uh, Miss Cleo? Oh, yeah. Ooh. She was like. Call I mean, me now for your free reading. reading. Oh, yeah. my God. She was like. Excuse it. the uh, accent there, but. Yeah. Because I, I, I think they even found out she wasn't Jamaican. You know? No. <laughs> no, she wasn't. There's a document. I think it's on HBO Max. I, there's a documentary about that Dude. whole thing. Dude. I wish I remembered a lot of the detail. I, you know, I just kind of had it on in the background while doing something. Yeah. But she was a hot 
she was hot for a minute there. For a early two thousand like late nineties, early two thousands. White hot dude. And just, just cleaned up. Uh-huh. Made a lot of cash. She actually passed away. Mm-hmm. Not too long. I think actually, I, I believe this is true. When I was a kid, I remember K State football. For a Willie entrance, they did a Miss Cleo bit. Oh my yeah. god. I swear to God. I oh. man, if anybody remembers that, call in because I I want to say it was like game one of 2002. Let me look up the uh, you, uh, 2002 schedule real quick. You know you're big when Willie's doing skits about you. That's, you've hit the pinnacle. I, you know, and I, I have the worst memory in the world, but it's just these weird things I remember once in a while. <laughs> All the way back 21 years ago, K-State hosted Western Kentucky. And they were doing this thing. like They had Miss Cleo on the scoreboard saying something. And... Uh, and then somebody says, Willie, predict who's going to win the Big 12 championship. And there's three cards. It's like tarot cards out yeah. on the field. Oh, wow. And Willie flips them one at a time. It's KSU. Wow. wow. I swear. I, I'm sure K-State has video of that somewhere. I, I don't think I was dreaming. I think no. that really did happen. You need to ask Robert. That, that's the guy to ask. He would remember. He would remember if anybody's going to remember. That guy has my a, like a steel trap. Absolutely. Because I'll ask him like when the cats go on a road. Because I interview him every week for Powercat Game Day, Robert's World. Mm-hmm. Into the first hour every uh, every Saturday or Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ask him if the cats are on the road, just favorite memories of going to Boone Pickens Stadium or 18, Jones AT&T Stadium. And he would rattle off, do you remember that time back in 1976 Oof. when so-and-so – Ran a 98-yard touchdown, but it was called back due to oh, whatever. God. You know, like no, insane Robert, memory. Not born. not born yet, actually, but that's amazing what you've just By done. the way, Paul, our IT guy, uh-huh. I walked Robert by his office as we went to the K-Rock studio. What's up, Ron? He <laughs> called Paul Ron, and that was the funniest thing. He, he turns to me right away and goes, that's not Ron, is it? I was like, no. <laughs> It Dude, was hilarious. That's yeah. great. It's it's obviously one of those. It's like it's better if you're there just to hear the. Ca- I mean, the timing was wonderful. Right. <laughs> Dude, I liked it. He he saw the Oklahoma stuff. It's like gotta be a Ron. It'll be gotta be Ron. I'm guessing. Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner, alongside Troy Coverdale, David G. Travion Berkland is running our board today. The phone number five three seven thirteen fifty is the phone number to call if you want to come in and say anything. Uh, but guys, it's Wednesday. Hmm. You know what that means? It means AEW Dynamite tonight from Fort Bend Epicenter in Rosenberg, Texas. It's a suburb of Houston. Oh. Um, and uh, it's a near sellout in Rosenberg as the icon Sting. As in, yes, the uh, I think he's now 61 and still wrestling, yeah. is going to, going to address the fans. And the rumors are he's going to be announcing a... Uh, a retirement, but it could be some storyline thing. You never know Please, how it's going to go. go home. Uh, but yeah, a near sellout for Wednesday Night Dynamite tonight, 7 o'clock on TBS. But that also means we're joined by, not this week, Derek Young has the week off. We're going to be joined by Mason Voth from K-State Online, and uh, our conversation was actually recorded last night. Let's get to Mason Voth. All right, Mason, uh, we need a daughter Elliot update. Um, how did she feel about the Cats win in Lubbock on Saturday? Uh, I think she felt pretty good about it. I, I was getting videos and pictures sent to me during the game. Uh, she's got a new favorite spot in the house. It is to just lay on the ottoman in the living room, and her feet just barely dangle off, and she lays there 
and faces the TV. Really doesn't matter too much of what's on. Uh, she does like sports that involve balls so far. I think just there's a lot of moving action and the, the picture is always changing. So she likes that. So I think she enjoyed the win, certainly a lot more than uh, I at least assume she enjoyed the loss uh, last Friday to Oklahoma State. So I'm glad that she uh, got, got back in the win column. Well, listen, as a, uh, a 33-year-old 5'5 gentleman, I don't mind a, a good Ottoman chill. When you talk to her, are you a lot of baby talk or do you use regular Mason voice? Uh, I mean, it's a lot of regular Mason voice and it's also a lot of regular Mason dialect too. So I'm not like changing up what I say. Some of the dumb stuff that you'll hear me say probably in the likes of uh, the whole like book it and cook it stuff and just random stuff that she'll never understand probably in her life. I'm saying it to her. I'm also probably saying things to her that I shouldn't say right now, like nothing like horrible that if she repeats it, like people are going to be just taken aback. They'll just be really confused by it. So I talk to her pretty normal at times. I mean, I guess there are a couple of times where I'll dumb my voice down a little bit for, um, especially if she's in like a really good mood early in the morning, I kind of have to play it up a little bit, make sure she stays in that good mood. But for the most part, I am uh, just talking to her normally. I think that, I don't know, the science may be different on this than what I, I think it is. But I'm pretty sure I've heard and read that if you just talk to a baby normally and you cut the like goo goo gaga bullcrap, uh, they typically start to learn things faster and they end up being smarter children. Look, I, I was fine in that department. Bud is a very, very smart woman, though. And I would prefer that Elliot follows in her footsteps. So uh, we're, we're trying to get her coached up as well as possible to to be a good human and the best baby she can be. I want her to outpace other babies. Uh, I, I have some some friends and other people I know that have recently had kids, and I like to compare where Elliot is at to them. I want to make sure that she catches the ones that are a couple months ahead of her, and I want to make sure that she keeps good distance between her and then the ones that are a little behind her. So I, I got to try and keep her on schedule there. Mason, I heard the same thing you did. And I don't remember where it was, but if you talk to a baby normally, they become smarter faster or something like that. I mean, Lindsay has a, uh, a niece that's like, boy, she's maybe approaching two right now. We were watching her while the parents were out of town for a week. And I talked to her as a normal human being, and she's already counting to five and knows how to say go cats. So, yeah, 86 in the baby talk was a good call. Now, you were down in Lubbock for the game. You were on the sidelines. Treshawn Ward was talking about that. He got hit multiple times by a tortilla. Did you ever take direct contact? No, I never took direct contact, but there, there were a lot more of them this Saturday night than my previous trip to Lubbock, which was the 2019 game. Uh, they were they were frequent. They were being thrown throughout the entirety of the game, and even after the game ended, some still were getting tossed. Uh, some were getting wadded up into like tight balls of tortilla that were being thrown. <laughs> so it, I was not hit by one. I was mostly in the end zone. So at the time that I was spent on the sidelines was walking back and forth. So I, I, I avoided it, but it came close a few times. I think I came closer to getting hit by something at TCU last year when they uh, had their fans throwing beer bottles and stuff onto the field. Well, let's build up to the man of the hour in the 38-21 victory over Texas Tech with the Cats now at 4-2. and two. Your takeaways from the win that didn't include specifically have touchdowns scored by Avery Johnson. I will, I'll start with Treshawn Ward, the, the man that wore a tortilla for K-State Nation on Saturday. Not only did he obviously have a great game going over 100 yards, Ultimately, what this signals is 
kind of what we thought at the beginning of the season, that he and DJ Giddens would probably share a lot of the load, and by the end of the season, they'll have comparable numbers. And I think that's going to end up being the case. I mean, DJ is going to have the one outlier game against UCF, and Treshawn Ward did not play in that game. But what it proved is that if DJ Giddens doesn't have it going, you have another running back that you can trust to, to give all of the carries to or saddle the load on him, and he will run with it, and vice versa. Treshawn Ward has had games and will have more games where he just doesn't have it that night and you can rely on DJ Giddens. And it's really nice when you don't have a Deuce Vaughn anymore that you know every single game is going to make plays for you that if you have to rely on one guy that is good, but you know not to the, the level that Deuce was, there's a chance that some nights he's just not going to have it. And it was clear that DJ Giddens didn't have it against Texas Tech. I don't think he was seeing the field well. There was a lot of east and west to his game. He's more of a north and south guy that needs to plow through people, hit the hole, and just go. He didn't do that a whole lot. Meanwhile, Treshawn Ward was able to step up, and he, I mean, for, for as shifty as we think that he can be, he just saw things and attacked. And I thought one of the bigger plays in the game was they case it was around midfield, and they had 15 yards to go to pick up a first down, and he just saw a hole, raced for it, busted through, and picked up like 13 or 14 yards and gave him an easy pickup there, uh, just shy of the first down, and they eventually converted it. Like He had some pretty significant runs throughout the game that ultimately go unnoticed because of how well Avery Johnson played. But Treshawn Ward not only proved that he could carry the load, but he can be good at doing it. And he also added a physicality to his game that I don't think we had seen all season. He ran physical. He, he was not afraid to go into contact and just play hard. Um, it was easily the best game we've seen from him, and it, it said a lot more about Treshawn Ward than I already thought, which at various points this season and kind of going into the year, I thought Treshawn Ward might end up being the better running back than DJ Giddens. At this point, they're probably on the same level, uh, but it, it was an awesome game for Treshawn Ward, and, and that should not be overlooked based off of what Avery Johnson did on Saturday. So you do the grades. You grade out every position group uh, after oh, no. each. Are you going to criticize me like all the nope. KSO members? Nope, nope. I, I don't think I've seen one grade of yours. I, I haven't seen every one for every game, but I don't think I've ever disagreed with any of them. I hear the argument. But I was curious because I have not seen this week's grades. I, I can imagine with yeah. Avery and Sean how you would grade them out. I was curious about two position groups. The offensive line, who I thought had their best game so far this year, and then the corners, or that you can even roll it into the secondary, that did have three interceptions, but there were also some passes, some deep balls for Tech. I was like, how do you not pick that off, or how do you not deflect it? It was right there and should have had it. How'd you grade out those two groups? Yeah, so the offensive line, I gave a B for their performance. They were overall very good on, on Saturday night. Probably the best that they had played all year, especially considering the competition level. Uh, keep in mind, earlier in the season, I guess at Big 12 Media Days, Joey McGuire suggested that this Texas Tech front seven was going to be better and more productive than last year's. And that's with a team that lost a first-round draft pick in Tyree Wilson. They were able to go out, make some holes for the running game, obviously. They held up well enough for the most part in pass protection. They didn't have to do it a ton, but they did. There were just some individual performances where guys lacked at various points and there were some serious struggles, but there were guys that were ready to pick up the slack if someone else was struggling in pass protection. Say you had two guys that were down there, you had three guys that were really good. And on the flip side, some guys struggle with their run blocking, but the rest of the unit picked them up. And I think that's probably what you're looking for out of an offensive line is that there's this very you know, harmonious relationship that they have back there and they were able to deliver with that. So I gave the, the offensive line a B. When it came to the secondary, well, 
linebacker and secondary didn't get the most favorable grades from me. I said at one point in the second half, I looked at Drew and D.Y. and I said, on position grades come Monday, the, everybody on the defense is getting docked a full letter grade for how bad the tackling is. It was just, it was so bad to watch. But upon further review, really the bad tackling came from two specific units. It was the linebackers and the corners in the game. Um, they just, they struggled there. And in addition to that, the corners had a tough time when it came to uh, defending the pass when the ball's in the air, which is a common thing with them this year. They just have bad ball skills right now when it's in the air. A lot of these guys are young, inexperienced at the position. They'll probably get better at it, but I gave the corners a C plus. And I gave the linebackers a C minus. The linebackers really didn't do anything of significance in this game. Austin Moore still put up his tackles, but there were a few times out there where he looked painfully slow, and he was part of the problem for why Texas Tech was able to bust off a couple big runs and not get tracked down till later. And obviously, Jake Clifton, I feel you know like the the penalty was kind of wrong and unfortunate, but the rules are the rules. You get a major 15-yard personal foul penalty that negated a, a fumble, and it cost K-State seven points. So there are things that both units did that were really bad. Now, as for the last element of the secondary, I gave the safeties an A-. minus. I mean, I thought last week, so two weeks ago, against Oklahoma State was their best game of the season. They one-upped it with how they played on Saturday night in Lubbock. And it's not just the three interceptions. I mean, they were awesome. They were timely. They played great. But outside of one play early, Marquis Siegel had a great game. He had the pass breakup, probably should have been a pick six. But he also came up, made some big tackles. Then obviously, Kobe Savage had the two picks. He was also just really good the entire night doing everything. I think he ended up being the highest graded defensive player on PFF. He tackled well. He did everything right. He's getting back into the form of the Kobe Savage that we saw before he got hurt against Baylor last year. And then VJ Payne stepped it up with uh, the pick and everything else. And this is a unit with the safeties that since they reshuffled kind of the on-field positioning, um, it's gone really well for them. That was, I think, the UCF game or just after. Um, So over the last three, four weeks is when they finally made this switch. But it's worked out for them. So I thought the safeties were really great. Uh, on Saturday, and that's a good sign for K-State because that was a group that was really struggling at the start of the year. All right, my quick response to all that before we take a break. Agree with the safeties. I think the last two games, we've seen them fly around more than they have maybe in the first four games combined, especially Marquis Siegel and, and Kobe Savage. The tackling part of that, Taj Brooks, if you take away the 30-yard run, he ran for four yards a carry. You'll live with that. Will be one of the tougher tackles for the K-State defense this season. That kid is really tough. And then going back to Austin Moore, I agree with you. He looked a little bit slow, struggled with the tackles a little bit. Even though he still led the team in tackles, he would probably be the first to admit that he did not have his best game. We're speaking with Mason Voth from K-State Online, and when we come back, we jump to the golden boy, Sunshine. Avery Johnson and his five rushing touchdown plus who does K-State start at quarterback against TCU? Mason and I will discuss when we come back on the game. We are back on the game. Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale, David G, Travion Berkland on the board, and Mason Both. He's the former leader of EMA Online, and now he's the glue guy for K-State Online. Uh, Mason, before the break, we talked about everything except Avery Johnson. Let's now get to... The golden boy, Avery Johnson, who rushes for five touchdowns. You know, this was actually a big question on yesterday's show, and I'll ask you right out of the gate. Does K-State win without Avery Johnson playing against the Red Raiders? Oh, man. It's tough to say 
I would actually venture to say yes, they do, given the fact that Avery Johnson playing, maybe it changed momentum and energy, but it shouldn't have changed much of how the defense played. Early in the game, they delivered some major shots to Baron Morton. It knocked him out. So Jake Strong is going to be in that game regardless. Uh, it might be a closer game and a little bit more of a grind because, well, you know, we'd have to see. And, uh, the, you know, Chris Kleiman and the K-State staff thinks that Avery Johnson's ability kind of opened up the run game for Trayshawn Ward a bit more. I still think they would have won regardless based on how everything else kind of played out. Uh, but obviously it made a difference in, in the final outcome there being such a wide margin and feeling very comfortable for basically the end of the third quarter on. That's pretty much what I said on Tuesday, that yes, Jake Strong is going to have to play because Baron Morton gets knocked out of the game. I did agree that would be closer, but the only thing would be if if it was Will Howard, more of the passing game would obviously be involved. But also the thing is, Texas Tech hadn't been that great in attacking the pass, and I think there's certainly a chance it's a closer game, but the Cats could still get it done. I guess now we just kind of jump, because we all know he was great, right? He ran for five touchdowns. He was the man of the hour. He was very solid as a true freshman. Did anything surprise you about Avery Johnson's storyline throughout the game from how early he came in the game, how much he played, how easy it looked for him? Um, I mean, how much he played, I guess, is a surprise. But as the game went on, it became less of a surprise. Um, I, I think maybe I was just surprised that it came so easy for him. I mean, we saw him get in against SEMO, and he made it look easy. He drove him down the field both times. The first time, he scored, and the second drive, he about scored. He just, you know, barely stepped out of bounds and also kind of got, you know, screwed by a, a bad Joe Jackson run that set him behind. I just didn't think that he'd come in and light it up like he did there. Like what he did to Texas Tech on Saturday was no different than what he did against every high school team in the state of Kansas over the last three seasons. And that's probably the most impressive thing is that he came out there and even though there's probably going to be a learning curve at some point, it didn't happen on Saturday and he was flawless in how he played against Texas Tech. So I think because it came so easy, that that surprised me. And I think that showcases just what kind of talent he really is. I had a thing today where maybe it'll be out tomorrow, sometime this week. Uh, the question of the week on KSO uh, that I did was, will Avery Johnson lead the Big 12 in rushing touchdowns this year? Currently, he's tied with five other players in the league. Will Howard is one of them. Both of the running backs at Kansas, Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw. Jonathan Brooks, the Texas running back, and then UCF's running back. Uh, they are all tied for the lead with six currently. And I okay. just said, like, my answer, I think, is yes, that Avery Johnson does lead the Big 12 in rushing touchdowns uh, by the end of the year based off how he's being used. Because his conversion rate, once K-State's gotten inside the 15-yard line this year with Avery Johnson at quarterback, they've scored a touchdown on six of seven drives. Well, if Avery keeps scoring five touchdowns a game, he's going to break by the end of the uh, regular season or the bowl game. He's going to break Barry Sanders' record for most rushing touchdowns in a single season. All right, so we got to talk now about the TCU game, and now the question is up in the air. There's the or on the depth chart. Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Is it going to be Avery Johnson, or will it be Will Howard? So I want to know just from the mind of Mason Voth how you feel about this situation and what the right answer to this should be. Do you feel like Avery should get the start, and let's see what happens, let him take the reins and see if he can lead Case 8 to a victory, or do you want to see – the two-quarterback system, and maybe Will Howard starting the game? I think it has to be Avery Johnson that starts the game. I, You go out there and you have him play as much as he did against Texas Tech. He wins you that game. He puts together an awesome performance. And he, you know, he, th he didn't have to do too much with it, but he threw the ball well when he was in there. 
Eight of nine, and he made some good throws during the course of the game, including the one to Jace Brown for 21 yards. So he can do it, and I just think that there was a a vibe shift that took place on Saturday, and when a guy goes out and captures that, you have to do it. And I think one thing that might be weighing in the back of Chris Kleiman's head is that last year Will Howard came out, looked awesome against TCU and Oklahoma State, and then they went back to Adrian Martinez for the Texas game, and they lost. And then eventually, the next week, they were in Waco. Adrian goes down. Will Howard comes in, picks up where he left off, and, and dominates the rest of the season. And even though last year's circumstance was due to injury for Adrian Martinez, I think that this is going to give a similar feel to Chris Kleiman. And I bet that, you know, even though I don't think it was a mistake to play Adrian Martinez against Texas last year, you look back and in hindsight, you have a lot of what ifs. And I think that he's probably going to say, I can't have that happen this year. And it, it's probably right to give Avery Johnson the start because he's earned it. Like this, this is one of those deals where it's it was kind of a legit open battle. Uh, and you know, based off of how Avery Johnson played, he could come in and, and take some snaps, and he did more than take the snaps. He answered the call. Uh, I would compare it to like my brother just got done playing college golf, and they take five to tournaments. You know, you qualify for that. Five guys go, whatever. Those are your starters, basically. But if a couple of those guys don't play very well and another guy is doing well in qualifying, then he's going to get his shot to go, and, and you're going to get knocked out of there. Once he earns that shot, and say he goes out there, and you know they play three rounds, and he goes out and fires a 70, 72, and then a 69, he's going to get to go to the next tournament, and that guy that lost his job, you're not qualifying again for it. it you're, you're going to have to wait till somebody else relinquishes their spot. And I just think that because of the energy and the, the boost that it gave K-State, and all that can be possible with it, I think you make the move. And I, I repeatedly say this, too. like It's a unique situation because of what Will Howard did for K-State last year. But in any other circumstance around the country, the team is riding with the younger, overall projected, more talented guy and just giving the future the keys to the team right now as opposed to, okay, yeah, we know you've been awesome so far. You've probably earned more time, but we're going to go back to the other guy just because we feel we owe it to him. It's a different circumstance with Will Howard, and I, I still do think maybe there's some room for him, but I think you might just have to go out there and ride with Avery Johnson. At the very least, you know that if he encounters some of those freshman struggles while you're still trying to compete to get back to Arlington, you can go back to Will Howard if you need to and hope that he has you know the, the same guy that we saw at the end of 2022 is still there, and he can kind of come back and reclaim it. I mean, it's not the same because uh, I don't think Will Howard has dropped off this much, but think of that the year the Broncos won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50. Peyton Manning <laughs> was at the end of his career. He gets knocked out. He's hurt. Brock Osweiler comes in. Osweiler plays awesome. Manning comes back. Things happen. He's not looking great. Osweiler was the starting quarterback for a little bit on that team in the middle of that season. And then, you know, he struggled, and Peyton Manning got his job back, and ultimately Peyton Manning was the guy that was under center and took him to a Super Bowl win. Now, you know, the defense did a lot of that work, but Peyton Manning was the quarterback. I think that's probably what you're looking at here. I think Avery Johnson should have the opportunity to be the starting quarterback at K-State until he proves and, and puts you in a position where you might fail, and you say, while we're still competing to get back to Arlington and for a Big 12 title, we are going to make every move possible to win. Now, once we hit the point in the season where K-State isn't going to be in Arlington, then, and that doesn't matter anymore, I think you just go full-time with Avery Johnson 
and uh, let him get all the experience he can before next season where he's going to be the main guy. This is an opinion I've been back and forth on because a part of me still, certainly a lot of me still believes in Will Howard that could still be the guy and go win some football games, but there's also still him as a starting quarterback. There is that little bit of doubt that K-State can go win a football game. Meanwhile, Avery, he has given you that spark that really nobody else on the roster is going to probably give you. Again, I've been back and forth, but is it me deep down just saying or thinking, you know, am I just holding off on starting Avery because I don't want to hurt Will's feelings? Probably something we got to get over if this means K-State has a much better chance of winning games with Avery Johnson as the uh, as a starting quarterback. Let's uh, We'll wrap up on a couple of questions here. Usually when D.Y. is on, we get into some recruiting Get your uh, two cents on Michael Bokanowski announcing his commitment on Thursday uh, at Junction City High School between four schools. That does include K-State and Oklahoma. Is KSO still leaning Oklahoma for Boganowski? I know Drew uh, put in his prediction for Oklahoma for Boganowski. I, I, I don't know. I've held off for making a prediction because I don't know if it's optimism or just I'm not going to be as emotional about the situation as some people. I'm not saying Drew is emotional about it, but I think that Drew has maybe heard from some emotional sources <laughs> about it. While it seems like Oklahoma might be the leader in this process, and maybe they have the edge, until Michael Boganowski puts on the hat of whatever team he's picking, I don't know that anybody has a, a real idea for sure of where he's going to go. I think anything could change still in this. There could be that last-second pull to, to stay close to home, be the guy at K-State. I mean, it certainly helps that you can sell that dream now after the game Avery Johnson had. I don't buy into what has happened recently, determined and decided Michael Boganowski's date on picking a team. That was decided well before K-State lost Oklahoma State, so people can forget about that. It just comes down to a lot of things, but one of K-State's biggest selling points is you come here, you can be the local hero. It is there for him to do that. I mean, Avery Johnson can hold down the offensive side as the Kansas kid, and Michael Boganowski can hold down the defensive side as the Kansas kid, and they can they can get loved up together. Be open-minded and have some optimism here. I, again, it probably ultimately ends up being Oklahoma because there are enough people that think it's going that way, but I think that there are some that just think it's Oklahoma because they haven't heard anything good or bad about K-State, and that makes them think that, but I also don't know that they've heard anything good or bad about Oklahoma. And I would also, uh, I'm not going to call anybody out by organization or name, but I think that there is a tendency amongst the Oklahoma media contingent to just willy-nilly put out their predictions to Oklahoma for basically every player Oklahoma is involved with uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why, but that's always something that I've noticed in now my second year working for these team sites and seeing there seems to be some serious homerism with the the predictions that get put out there. And I think sometimes it's just because they think, well, we're Oklahoma, but how could we lose a recruiting battle to K-State and KU? I mean, we're better than them. Uh, but Oklahoma can. I mean, they lost out on Caden Massey to K-State. I think everybody should be optimistic, but it, it's something where um, it, you don't have to necessarily think it's a, a for sure thing that it's K-State because it's certainly not that. All right, I'll leave some optimism out there for Boganowski to uh, pick the Cats coming up tomorrow afternoon from Junction City High School. With that, uh, I'm going to let you go. Safe travels up to Kansas City for Media Day, and we'll be seeing you at the Bill on Saturday. Oh, hey, wait, have you practiced how you might say it if Avery Johnson is the starting quarterback on Saturday? Because you've already said at quarterback, but uh, you have a little extra oomph if he's the starter. 
Not exactly extra oomph, but there will be a few extra words. As in, I'm not going to say at quarterback number five, Avery Johnson. I will say starting at quarterback number five, Avery Johnson. It'll be the same for Will as well. That's the only oh, difference. Oh. I will put the well, extra oomph in there if he scores. I had I had chills for a second when you started saying that about Avery, and then they all kind of went away when you said it about Will. So, uh I hope you're saying it about Avery because I think he he deserved the shot to go out there and, and be the starting quarterback on Saturday and let the Cats ride him until something goes really south. We'll find out a few minutes after 6 o'clock uh, Saturday night at the Bill. Thanks, Mason. No problem. Once again, that's Mason Voth from K-State Online. Uh, we talked last night. And, uh, here, you know, <laughs> after having another 24 hours to think about the quarterback situation, really all we can say is, is the only guarantee about Saturday at quarterback is that there are no guarantees. I, I, I think everything is truly a possibility. With the the only exception would be not being a possibility where one plays the entire game. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. Like Coach said, I thought that was a great quote where he says, I don't think it's I, I can tell you if it's 90-10 or 54 or 50-50 or 60-40. Just depends. I, I think that's absolutely true. At this point, that's the way that you have to look at it. Whether or not we like it as fans and whether or not he likes it as a coach, it's the approach he's going to have to take for the moment, given where this team is at. I, I'll tell you right now, i got a guarantee, easy, Jake Rubley will not start. <laughs> I'll tell you that right it's now. It's not happening, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Rubes. Yeah. Uh, we take a break, and when we come back, uh, more football news. But on the NFL side, a former Chiefs wide receiver has been traded back to Kansas City. And I'll tell you why I think it's the right move right now. That's coming up next. Well, coming up to kickoff hour number two, we'll get to a lot of Coach Jerome Tang of K-State Men's Basketball quotes Uh, from Big 12 Basketball Media Day earlier today at the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, including, I guess, uh, got a little bit of heat from doing the the drum gimmick uh, for the Chiefs game a few weeks ago. Can't say that I'm all that surprised. I think I'm more surprised by the reaction of folks today to the question. I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll definitely get to it, Um, but... um, I thought I'll just say this. I thought Coach Tang handled it well. Mm-hmm. Um, listened to those that didn't exactly like what took place, and he took it as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And he does not want to offend anybody. I like the guy. I like the guy. You got any problems with with Coach Tang? You come see me, okay? Send send it send it my way. You should be his bodyguard. I will. Can I'm, you fight? I'm his representative. Can you push? You just keep push people away yeah, and I just like they push. go flying. I just push. Okay. I'll just do like a pass blocking situation. Well, listen, you just hang out with hung out with Coach Prime. Yeah. Oh. And he's got an entourage. Coach Tang has a has a bit of an entourage. There you go. When he takes K State Global. He's going to need more. Yeah. He's going to need some bodyguards. I'm there, and I'm very serious. All right. Big Chiefs news earlier today. Kansas City has acquired a trade with. The New York Jets, and the Jets will be sent a late-round draft pick for 2024, I believe. Um, in return, Kansas City once again will have McCole Hardman at wide receiver on its roster, um, who already, you know, he played obviously for Kansas City for a few years. He was with Kansas City actually for four, was drafted by Kansas City out of Georgia uh, in, the, uh, in the 2019 draft. 16 career touchdowns for Kansas City, including 2,088 yards. But 
his production drifted off in his last year. Did not have as much action. 25 catches for 297 and four touchdowns. Those two first numbers I gave you were career lows at the time. Um, But here's the deal. And I'll just give my quick two cents and I'll let you guys give a comment on it if you choose to do so. The Chiefs wide receiver group needs McCall Hardman right now. Kansas City fans, anything you have when it comes to not liking McCall Hardman, his production, whatever it was last year that you didn't like him and you didn't want him to come back, because Kansas City did not really give him the time of day once the season was over. After the Super Bowl, after Kansas City won it, after the parade, they didn't really talk to the guy. He became a free agent. Jets offered him $4 million for a year, and he basically became an afterthought in New York because here comes a bunch of friends for Aaron Rodgers, and they also had a rookie really become a big deal, actually. Um, and that was during training camp. So he had one catch for six yards in five games. Wow. For the Jets, and it was getting paid $4 million, or wow. something in that neighborhood 20, of $4 million. 28 offensive snaps. One catch. And he was also Ooh. inactive in their last game, or uh, two games ago. But the reason they need him is because I think the wide receiver group for Kansas City has been struggling with drops, trying to get open. Kadarius Toney has been a disappointment who has 17 catches for 92 yards, five yards a catch, a little over five yards a catch. Not good enough. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has not been good enough. Sky Moore has not been good enough. I think Patrick Mahomes is not comfortable throwing to him. He's not a reliable wide receiver. Justin Watson is hurt. Really the only true playmaker, in my opinion, that has played for the wide receivers is Rasheed Rice, the rookie. You need another guy that has some athleticism. He already knows the playbook. He'll need the refresher, but he's already comfortable with the offense. He's comfortable with Patrick Mahomes, and I would think Patrick Mahomes would be comfortable throwing to him. Mm-hmm. Take away last year, whatever. They already have a relationship. The athleticism is necessary, plus the guy can return kicks. I think Kansas City needs a guy that can return some kicks. Yeah. Last couple of years, that's been an issue. Good Lord. And especially this season, I think it was Richie James was supposed to be like, this is the guy, the return guy, and that fizzled out in three games, I think, maybe even two. You're right. The Chiefs need McCall Hardman. I think even a little more than McCall Hardman needs the Chiefs right now. Um, but you know what? More power to him, and I, I'm happy for McCall. He's coming back to Kansas City where he was obviously more comfortable. Good good for them. And they didn't cost them much. He says a sixth-round draft pick? No, it's a very it's, – it's, yeah, and it's not like when it comes to salary cap, oh, not a hit nothing. at all really. Yeah. It's, it's nothing. So – I mean, they needed somebody right away to come in. And mm-hmm. the, the the thing I don't really get is, you know, Kansas City going back after Frank Clark after Clark is done with um, the Broncos after that very short relationship. But Charles Aminahue is about to come out of his suspension. And now you're going to pick up Frank Clark. And I'm just like, I, that one I don't necessarily – I know he's talented. He's crazy talented. Um, maybe outside of football is a liability. Um but I just didn't think that was a necessary pickup. But he's going to be going through a physical with Kansas City either today or tomorrow. And McCole Hardman's now back on the roster. So will, will that be the biggest difference in the world? I'm not necessarily sure. I don't think he's going to be a world beater in any way. Or he's going to come out and receive for 125 yards and score a couple of times. I don't think so, but they need the boost. Patrick Mahomes needs a guy that he's 
you know, has a lot of experience and is comfortable with. Has some trust in. Yeah, these guys are just, too, I think this group is just too young. Mm-hmm. Too young. Mm-hmm. And they could use uh, some veteran guys up in that locker room for sure. For sure. Boy, how good does Tyreek Hill look right now, by the way? I mean, the Miami offense. What, what, who, who, they, who they play last week? Was it? I don't recall, but they spotted him fourteen points. The Panthers, yeah, the Panthers. <laughs> well, the Pan- yeah, they're terrible. And then, okay, it's fourteen nothing Panthers. And then, here comes t- shout out to Tua Tungavailo, who's having a monster year right yeah, now, awesome. and that offense just exploded. Mm-hmm. Starting quarterback. I also have Mustard at uh, running back. Oh, that's the guy. I cleared 150 points for the second time in in four weeks this week. That's the guy I'm so upset with myself for back in the day not picking him up. He hit waivers, and you're like, oh, Mustard? Eh, whatever. Nailed that one after week one. Literally, he was free in in our league. We take a last break ah. of the hour. By the way, the Chiefs will have the Chargers after playing a Monday night game, and the Chiefs got 10 days off. Hey. How about that? Let's work on that scheduling, NFL. <laughs> but the Chiefs will get the Chargers Sunday at 325. We take our last break of the hour. When we come back, Tulsa football in the university trying to break a Guinness World Record that K-State could totally break. That's coming up next. All right, let's finish up the hour by heading down south to Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Golden Hurricanes hosting Rice tomorrow night. Tulsa is attempting to break a Guinness World Record for largest beer tasting. And this is also to promote their annual, their own version of Oktoberfest, which is coming up. um, Actually, I think it might be going on right now. But the plan is for tomorrow, they have a designated area Eli Young Band is playing, and they expect 3,000 people to show up for this beer tasting. And I don't know how this is supposed to work, like what the criteria is to call it a beer tasting, but the the world record is only 1,200 out of Barcelona a few years ago, and they're expecting 3,000. And I'm thinking, like, K-State could beat that. Yeah, we could. 3,000 for a beer tasting? I like tasting beer, and so does about... 90% 90% of the people that show up to the games. Get some, let's get right, some more feelers than out there. Let's break this record right after it gets broken, like the next week. Tulsa has it for literally seven days. I just say the West Paved and the East Paved parking lot, is that not a beer tasting every uh, home game? Depends. Does that not count? It depends on yeah. if you really want to call it beer and taste. <laughs> All right, guys. We take, our hour, uh, we take our top of the hour break, but when we come back, Highlights of Jerome Tang at Big 12 Basketball Media Day, including his story of meeting up with Deion Sanders. is coming up next in Social Local News.